0: between sundays i'm tyler and i'm only here to give you good advice and helpful wisdom but tim is here to tell us what if jesus never laid the pathway to an abundant life before we get schooled on what if jesus had never taught let's welcome in our favorite co-host cleaner in their hands but more wicked in their intentions
1: Meredith barry good day guys (laughs) good day wicked in their intentions how are you guys doing it's been a few weeks it has been a few weeks. I was off last
0: week, so yeah. I'm feeling so Marin and I just canceled it.
1: <laughs> you didn't wanna <laughs> didn't want to talk without
0: me. I got a notification <laughs> I got a notification like on uh Sunday night. We usually record on Mondays. Mm-hmm. Try to. And Sunday night it was like Maren Declines podcast. I'm like, all right, well I guess <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Marin has declined.
2: No, I declined for Monday. We could have tried to reschedule,
1: but We haven't recorded on Monday in like <laughs> a long time. It's not, it's no longer working. I don't think that's we, a good time for us
0: to record. Yeah, we every to week, reconsider. every week I text them. I'm like, Hey, what other day can you do it? Cause <laughs> Monday, no bueno for any of us. <laughs> Tim, how are you? I'm okay. I'm good. Good to see you. Yeah. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Uh, let's go around. What's, what's new guys. I haven't, uh, we haven't done this in a couple weeks. We're in a new sermon series. So I want to hear everybody wants to hear
1: dying to know what's new. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Yeah. dying to know. Marion, what's new with you? I'm dying to know.
2: Oh my goodness. What is new with me? I feel like there's very little new with me, but then I feel like everything is
0: new with me. So mm. it's,
2: it's a little bit of, of, of a both and well, one and thing's all. new.
0: All or nothing. I feel like last time we were, we had a bird's eye view into the room you're in. There was a bed in there.
2: <laughs> Are you looking at the background <laughs> of where I am Always. sitting? So no. here's here's the cool thing about this room. This room, I'm sitting in my sunroom. It's kind of my makeshift office whenever I'm working from home. It's usually a wreck. Um, but that's a Murphy bed, Tyler. That thing folds up.
0: Oh, folds so it's still in the there. Yes, it it's folds just, up into a keyboard. It's, and it's
2: folded up <laughs> <or> <laughs> into a keyboard. Um, no, no, it's, it's folded up. So when little Jay came to stay with us, we had to move the guest bedroom to the sunroom to give him a bedroom of his own oh. and give my in-laws a place to stay. All right. um, my in-laws who very generously purchased this Murphy bed right. so that they'd have a place to stay when they come and visit us. Okay. So that's what it's doing. It's just folded up and it's, it's nice looking. All right. Yeah. Thanks for noticing, Tyler.
0: Yeah. I'm just trying, to, just know, just trying to stay on top things. of new developments. <laughs> <laughs> new
2: developments. Yeah. So that's me. That's my update.
1: <laughs> Barry, what's new with you? How was your time off? It was good. It was really good. So I, I took the last week off. I hadn't really taken any time off for quite a while. And so I was pretty frazzled and needed, needed a little space, but it basically I spent the entire week working on plants and the garden and uh, big projects like finishing the garden fence around my kind of food forest area and smaller projects like getting getting indoor seed starting lights hung up so that I could you know start my little grow lab for for all the little seedlings and our food uh, forests the new gardens no, like no. Is that what we call forest, gardens now? No, because a food <laughs> forest, intentionally, it's like you're over time trying to build a place where a bunch of perennial trees, like fruit oh. trees and perennial plants all it's work together. Happening. But I'm using that, like- while all those trees are still just little twigs, I'm using the garden as like a hybrid space with annuals to fill in the gaps while the trees mature. So it's a food forest, but it's also just like a garden. But anyway, uh, this year I'm overdoing it because someone gave me a massive, like hundreds upon hundreds of packets of every different kind of garden seed, plant seed you could think of, uh, that were, they're 2019 seeds, but they still work. I mean, they're, they they're fine and so i had i basically decided to just completely overdo seeds, it huh well you got to know like how what year were they harvested so that you know like the fresher they are the more likely they will be to germinate so oh anyway, knew?
2: i did not i actually, knew I, I knew i bought <laughs> some <laughs> tomato seeds last year and put them in my freezer do you think they'll come back to they'll, life
1: they'll probably be fine they'll probably oh, be fine oh my goodness just like you just don't want like wedding
0: cake you, what Don't you put your wedding cake in your freezer and try to eat it later? And
1: it's like the day it was baked. We did that. A whole year later. (laughs) Anyway, I started all these seeds and they all sprouted like really well. I'm doing like 70 different kinds of plants this year, or maybe it's like 75, 80 different kinds of plants this year. And so goodness. I'm, again, way overdoing it. But in June or July, my goodness, guys, you're going to be getting baskets of, of things from me because I'm going to have so much more than I need. What are you most looking forward to in your food forest this year? Ooh. OK, this is going to sound really nerdy, but I'm growing mustard. And I, I'm actually growing it so that at the end of the, the season I can get a bunch of seeds and grind my own <gasps> mustard. Whoa.
2: That, that doesn't I,
1: sound nerdy at all. That sounds really? awesome. Well, I've never done it before, but I'm really pumped about that. And uh
2: So is this is a very dumb question. Is it the same plant as like mustard greens? Yeah. Like can and you, you can, use the you, greens? Yeah. You I'll, I'll, green
1: I'll probably do both. I'll probably do both. Use the mustard greens. Please and invite email. us
2: over for your homemade mustard.
1: Okay. All right. What I'll will you, do you serve that. it on? I don't know. I'm not growing any grains. So I'm not about to like bake my own bread. That's, that's way, that's many years in the future. But, so um, my, when you make my your goal this year, yeah, go ahead. When you make your own mustard, is it like, is it just like the Jimmy mustard that you get at Jimmy John's? It depends on what you're trying to make. Like you can make some mustard where you take the mustard seeds, you grind them up and you put them in with vinegar and it, or you can mm. do honey mustard where you're including honey. And I don't know, there's a whole bunch of different things. And I haven't even looked up recipes. All I know is I want to grow my own mustard. Is this something yeah. you've
2: always wanted to do? Like, have you always been like a, a- <laughs>
1: yeah. when
3: I got to tell you, Marin, you know, but ten or twelve years ago, Barry and I roomed together in South Africa. <laughs> and we would lay in the beds at night in the dark and he would go, Tim
1: I don't remember. I'm I don't even know what he's about because I don't remember this.
3: And all I can all I really want Tim out of life is to make my own mustard. <laughs> oh
1: my goodness. I I don't know if that's entirely true, but I will say <laughs> the, <laughs> thing, the thing been the thing here's what's here's what's going on is I'm realizing over the last couple of years as I've started learning how to grow stuff like, oh, you can just grow things like, is that a stupid thing to realize? I'm like, you can just this. This will just come out of the ground and you can have it. And it's like all these kinds of things that I just buy at the store. I can have my own and it's incredible. And so this year, my one goal for this whole garden, it'll probably be exceeded. But my whole goal for this year is I want to make one full hearty meal completely out of stuff that I grew or raised on my own farm. So that's the goal. And we're gonna 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 have plenty of options this year. That's great. Yeah, make sure you have plenty of
3: options. You guys, I've told you that my wife and I had, for a number of years, we had a third of an acre that was all garden and it was surrounded by fruit trees. And we grew so much food and I bartered the food with a guy who had chickens and the one milking cow. Hmm. And for about two years, We got all our eggs and milk from him and he got vegetables from us. And talk about canning that we, yeah, we went through that. It was a garden that was an older woman. She was like in her late eighties and they had gardened it for, she had been a farmer and the whole land around her had been developed, but she kept that garden in the back of her old house. And hmm. she, when she couldn't work it, she asked us to work it. And so we did. So I've been there. Yeah. Now, we didn't have as many different varieties of stuff, but we did have 25 hills of
1: zucchini. Wow. I had.
2: What, what? what do you even do a... <laughs> with that much zucchini? <laughs> I know. I, we
1: had two zucchini plants last year and we had more zucchini than we could possibly eat. So,
3: well. I would have meals, this is honest truth, that would start with a little bit of zucchini salad <laughs> and then it would be a zucchini casserole followed by zucchini bread for dessert. I remember the day vividly when I looked my wife, my sweet young <laughs> wife in the eyes and said, if you give me one more thing with zucchini in it, it may be the end of our relationship. <laughs> oh no. And I would take baskets of zucchini with me while, because I, I was a landscaper and I would take it and go to the neighbor's houses and just knock and say, hey, I'm the guy that's working at your neighbor's. Do you want any zucchini?
1: And they're like, leave so us alone.
3: <laughs> yeah, but we, yeah, we don't I, want I, zucchini.
1: <laughs> there were supposed to be four
3: families that were going to use that garden and eat off of it. And so we planted it for four the first year. And of course, after the day we planted everything, the only two people that went back to work in it were myself and Jennifer. And so we just didn't share the food. Isn't that
2: how community gardens just always go? They always seem to go that way. They do.
1: Yeah. The cool thing with us is, you know, we'll obviously have more than we need. We'll have an abundance, but we actually, we, we can give fresh fruits and vegetables to our chickens and our bunnies. It's like, it's extravagant. Like you're supposed to give them like pellets,
2: Marin and Tyler.
1: Well, of course you guys will get some too, but I'm just (laughs) saying like this began last year, but it'll be even more true this year is that we will literally pick a zucchini fresh off the ground, break it in half, throw it to the chickens. It's it's over overkill, but it's like the whole thing that we're trying to create is a little mini Eden where there's so much abundance that everything, every creature, every human is, is, has more than enough. That's kind of what we're doing. So what was the thing you posted a picture? Oh yeah. A couple days. And Jerusalem it looked,
0: artist joke. Yeah. Like who knew? Well, you did, but. I didn't why, know. Why does that exist? And it, I never would have looked at that if I had seen one of those in my yard. I never would have looked at it and said, I should eat this. Well,
1: <laughs> well I wouldn't have either. But does it no, taste it's, good at all? It does. It's really good. It's like a it's like a sweet potato Turnip mix—it's got like a sweet, like a almost glucosy, sugary kind of taste to it. Really nice, and um, they're, they're this. It's an indigenous to North American plant, like these little sunflowers with these tubers, and they have nothing to do with Jerusalem or artichokes. It's just complete misnomer. But they were brought over by the settlers back to England and over to France, and they became like a really popular addition to a lot of dishes and soups and all that kind of thing. And then they kind of fell out of favor and people stopped using them, but, but they're a very vigorous plant that the tubers spread really quickly. So you can, I mean, it started with one little plant at the, in the fall of 2019, I put it in and just two days ago I harvested probably, I don't know, three, four pounds of, or five pounds of tubers, just like a huge pile of them. So anyway, it was pretty fun. They do give you incredible amounts of, of gas. And so they're called <laughs> Jerusalem fartichokes by many because they are <laughs> so, they're so good for your gut bacteria that, it causes problems. Could so there is a downside. maybe be why they fell out of favor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read, <laughs> I, I, I read some um, <laughs> review of, of Jerusalem artichokes from like the 1600s. And this guy what? was just dunk. I was just, that's on the Wikipedia page. And this guy was like <laughs> dunking on them. And he was like, he was like, they create a foul, some wind within the body. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> <word>. <laughs> but apparently, apparently there's one way to eat them. That does not cause Gas and it's um, by pickling them, and you can pickle them like like cucumbers, and then they're like crunchy. I don't know. I've never had them. They're they're in my fridge. Like later today, wow. maybe tomorrow, I'll find out. But you, you pickle like, them. I pickled them already. Did oh, it. wow. So anyway, unbelievable. What an age we live in. <laughs> and all I'm trying to do is get back to like some level of self sufficiency, which we've all lost. And if you know if the zombie yeah. apocalypse does happen, we're all screwed. <laughs> Uh, well yeah come live on my farm and we can try to harvest the heirloom seeds okay I'm done talking All about right, Tim what's
0: new with you <laughs> um, n-
3: nothing quite so amazing
2: <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> I think I might have told you guys on the last podcast that we are getting new carpeting on the full upstairs of our yes! house and that How's I had that going? New, we got it and I moved everything on the first top floor to the basement. And then when we, the carpeting was in, I only moved the furniture that we actually need. <laughs> and so the basement is still absolutely packed with all the stuff that was in the closets. And I'm just not in the mood
1: <laughs> yeah. because
3: there's no, I have no reason right now to restock underneath the double bed that had every drawing from Emily's second grade underneath. Yeah, no. <laughs> just leave that now down there. that she's getting closer to having a second grader. Yeah. I just don't, I just can't bring myself to make that two stair, you know, it's two flights of stairs trip to just stuff the closet. Yeah, I don't and blame
0: you, man. So Going down you, is way easier.
2: Would you give these items to Emily? Cause my parents emptied out the garage of all of my sentimental stuff. And just dumped it in my living room one day. <laughs> they were like, "Here, this yeah, is yours your, now. It's
3: your problem now." The problem is that she lives in San Francisco, so I can't like just drive. I mean, I, <laughs> I'd have to rent a big van to drive it out there. It'd be, I, I she's going to have to come here sometime and say yes, no, yes, yeah. no. But when she comes, we have said that before. But when the kids come here, nobody wants to sit her. Well, what happens is we get out the first box of pictures. Like last night, my wife was looking at pictures yeah. of one of our daughters back when she was in high school, and there's Jen or uh, Jen Orr and all yeah, these people, I was there. Amber Reynolds or whatever Amber somebody. All these girls, and so we spend like forty five minutes looking at ten pictures yeah. and talking about it. And so when, that's what always happens when they come <laughs> yeah, home takes, to get stuff. You open <laughs> so it four there, hours later. Yeah, so anyway, I'm, it's just that my basement is absolutely packed with things that I have no idea why we have them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is, is Jennifer in a, is she trying to get the basement cleaned out? Is that like the next step or is it cool to just sit, sit down there until yeah someone the basement, has the energy?
3: The basement has always been, well, it's really nice room. It's a big finished room. Yeah. And for a long time, it was just a rock and roll band rehearsal space. Mm-hmm. And then it became kids playroom. Mm-hmm. And then for a while, we sort of mixed kids playroom with place to actually go. I bought a TV. This, I mean, you know, like we could use it in the main room at 146th Street, this monster <laughs> smart tv (laughs) to put down there and it's been in the box for four months oh no i've never taken it out of the box because i can't figure out where to put it down there because i can't get to the walls (laughs) (laughs) so so anyway yeah no there's no hurry i just talked to david Cottle about returning that space to a rehearsal place because um, i asked him if there was like a set of drums that might have come out of any of the there might be a kit that we could put back down in my basement because I used to have a set of DWS down there, and that you know that was cool. That when we stopped doing that, I got rid of all the gear except the Hammond. But I still have a full PA. I needed a I need some new mics, and he's saying I think we can figure that out. So mm-hmm. I have an impetus to return that space to something useful. But in the meantime, we got to find what to do with four tons of fisher price toys <laughs> well
0: good news because next month we're starting a new series called tidying up where we're just going to start doing spring cleaning projects i guess and maybe we can send some people over to your house to take some of that stuff off your hands
2: tim i think you could keep like a video diary and just keep yeah. us updated on your progress as you Tim's inch your way closer
3: in the to the wall stuff. But better than that, <laughs> I got my wife a new car. So I oh, mean that's unique, yeah, yeah it's But she's got a new Honda Odyssey. We had one Ooh. that was fifteen years old, an Odyssey, and it had two hundred thousand miles on it. And it had a small leak and I'd taken it in to get it fixed and it needed to have the timing chain or timing belt changed. And so I spent about two and a half grand on the the van and then Found this other van that was really reasonable with only 40,000 miles on it. It's a 2017. All right. And so I traded it in and I got about half of what I just spent (laughs) to put it. But I thought, you know, I can't. I made that decision wisely thinking I was going to drive another 100,000 miles on it. And I can't kick myself for that too much. Because Odyssey's. my wife is now in a much safer, better car, and I feel better about it. so that's, right. that's new. That's new. All right. Good.
0: Congrats to Jennifer. Yeah, she's happy. She's just cruising. All right. So we are in week two of our sermon series. What if? Where we're asking questions like, what if Jesus was never born, or what if Jesus had never lived? What if? Je- and this week we're focusing on uh, what if Jesus had never taught. And Tim, you gave the sermon. And so can you give us kind of a snapshot of the big idea you wanted to communicate last weekend for anybody who may not have heard it yet?
3: Uh, I think the big idea was that, that if Jesus had not taught that, that uh, this is what we would have missed about his coming. If he'd done everything else, Even his uh, death and resurrection wouldn't have made sense because his teaching opened up the truth about God's heart in a manner that makes sense of everything else because he gave us so many examples through his teaching of the heart of God Mm -hmm. and what was really important that it actually... I suppose we could have figured something out by the prophetic. It would have been a lot more difficult. And in fact, that's why the the early church held on to his teaching. They used the Old Testament as their text to make, to prove that who Jesus was fit with the prophetic uh, utterances, if you will, but that his teaching shifted the thinking because the thinking had gotten away from what God initially intended. So Jesus teaching jerks everything back to what God really wanted from us and what God intended. And that's what I really wanted to say. Um, so.
0: Because you, it, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. Oh. Well, right, I'll you, go. Yeah. You go there. <laughs> no, just <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> um, one of the things you illustrated at the beginning is he wasn't the only guy going around saying he was the Messiah and he wasn't the only guy going around teaching. Obviously there were other people doing this. And so, um, I guess one of my, one of my questions and you answered this in your sermon, but one of my questions was what separated his teachings from every other teacher back in the day? Um, because if there's a lot of people doing the same kind of the same thing, what separated, what made him stand out in the moment um, from other from other folks?
3: His um, other teachers, and the, now remember that other people who claimed to be messiahs did not come as teachers; they came as um, political nationalist figures who were mm-hmm. trying to. They were not interested in changing the they were actually trying to drive everything back so that the notions about how the law should be obeyed would be ubiquitous throughout Israel without the overbearing uh, presence of the Romans yeah, or the Greek culture. And so that they were not teaching, but teachers at the time were primarily interested in, they did not speak with their own authority. They spoke with the authority of those who'd come in the past, and they were more interested in maintaining the status quo, the wisdom, and the following of the law from the past. And so they 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 were discussing things and teaching things, but they were all trying to just build on a foundation that didn't really change the givens. And Jesus changed all the givens, mm. and that's why they say, I mean, why people say, "Man, he's." we've never heard anything like this. He talks like he's has his own. He's got authority from someplace. Yeah. And so that's the difference.
0: Were people in the moment Were they, were they paying attention to his teachings or was it, you know, was it after he died and rose again, that people were like, wait a minute. uh, He taught some pretty good stuff. Now I get it because the disciples, I guess, at least my perspective is they're kind of known for not getting it when he would say stuff. But if there were a bunch of teachers or rabbis um, in the moment, is it simply that he was talking about selflessness and an abundant life? Um, Because there were hundreds and thousands of people that were just following him. Was it something he was saying specifically or was it, was it his presence in the moment that kind of stood out to people?
1: Well, all all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all mention that people were astounded that he taught as one having authority, not mm-hmm. as their not as the scribes or the other the other teachers. Right. He had authority and when he spoke things actually happened and he could drive out demons and all that stuff too.
3: I think they were paying attention. At least enough people were paying attention. Somebody was writing something down. Yeah. Or, and I don't know whether they wrote it down before or after. I don't know whether they had a big conference like three months in and said, let's start writing down everything we remember him saying. But that's not unusual for uh, people to write things down post. Yeah. Um, and and the other thing is that it's pretty clear that they were trying to be as close. I mean, the way they quote Jesus is a little different place to place, but it's it tends to be close enough that we know they were listening well enough to get the bigger ideas. And, and also the fact that they are a little different, just shows us that different people were remembering things a little Mm -hmm. differently, which is fine.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming, I mean, if you, if, if you were to just teach like the, all the teachings of Jesus, back to back, and it'd probably take you a few hours to, to read them all. But he spoke, he taught for years, and in many different places, and probably repeated the same teachings, same things, yeah. dozens if not hundreds of times. And so, after all of that, you, you know, everybody understood everybody remembers the parable of the whatever, you know, and mm. so they could capture that, mm. mm-hmm.
3: right? And and that also the the assumption is that Mark translated Peter's. Aramaic into Greek and Latin as he's traveled around and preached and so he probably translated the same stories hundreds of times as he followed as he traveled around with Peter and so by the time he got around to writing it down he'd pretty much memorized everything that Peter was going to say and yet when Matthew who was with Jesus goes to quote jesus in his gospel he tends to pretty much follow exactly what mark remembered peter saying so it must have been accurate enough that matthew didn't feel that he had to do too i mean there are some places there's like the one place where jesus uh, says to that lady i don't want to give stuff to the dogs and there's Hmm. some there's some stuff in there that's just a little bit different, but it's more, it more is not about what Jesus said so much as about the, the way that the audience might respond to the whole situation. I think it's all interesting stuff. And I feel pretty confident that his teaching post the resurrection was important because suddenly it all made sense you know yeah. and and so they they wanted to but again that's not unusual yeah for for people in the ancient world for people to write down what someone said after they die mm-hmm. so
0: the thing i keep thinking is that jesus jesus's teachings when is when um when people encountered him, there was something obviously different. And Matthew says that the people who uh, sat in regions of darkness and shadows of death saw light spring up when Jesus showed up. So he obviously made people feel different by by his presence. And that was alluring and compelling. But when he opened his mouth, he like, barely you said it, he spoke with authority. <laughs> people heard him speaking about the character of God, Tim, the, the biggest, one of the biggest ter- takeaways for me, Tim is, is he was speaking about the character of God in ways that felt like for people that were sitting in darkness or, uh, within shadow of, uh, they, it felt like finding water in a desert. It was it, like, not only his presence was compelling and alluring, but when he opened his mouth, it was like so refreshing.
3: Right. We have to remember that the Greek word that gives us authority, exousia, means that you have been given permission to speak on behalf of another person. And that when you speak, you are saying the words from the person who has granted the authority. And so when they say that Jesus speaks with authority, it either means that he's speaking the because he says he got it from his father, but they also give him credit for having authority within himself. And those two things are really powerful in their world. Mm -hmm. And we have to, that people see him as a messenger from God when he speaks, because no, no uh, rabbi at the time would have ever said that they had authority from God myself. They would never say that. And they certainly wouldn't say, I thought this up. And I can say it because I am this is who I am. And, and you know, like like a half of the book of Mark is just answering who is this man that, that the disciples ask that in the boat. They say, who is this man? And then we get like six chapters, it's event after event after event that says who this man is. Mm-hmm. And it all points back to the fact that he's either the authority who speaks on behalf of God or he is God himself who has authority. And so it's like really strong. Related to his teaching because he yeah. has the right to speak on behalf of God
0: as himself, yeah. And so it's like both and it's cool. But um, is is that what got him into trouble? Yeah, uh, it's because as I'm all the all the examples you mentioned in your sermon, like what if we had never had these parables or what if we had never had these stories from his teachings. And I was I was listening to this and the the self giving love and um, if if that's the overarching theme and abundance of life, it it struck me maybe for the first time like Rome wasn't really like Rome wouldn't have been threatened by that message right but they would have been threatened by the people who were following him kind of.
1: Right. interpreting they didn't,
0: that
3: they were not afraid of all of the pretenders to the mess- messianic claim or there were you should go back and read josephus when he talks about the fact that like that dude that i said that he
2: mm-hmm.
3: said the walls are um the 30,000
2: followers guy he had
3: 30,000 followers now we don't know if josephus was exaggerated or not that seems like a huge crowd but but the romans they didn't kill him they killed everybody else. Yeah, and um, that they were just—they just didn't want trouble.
1: And it—it's—it's it's helpful to think of if you're thinking of like empire and what it what Israel was to the Romans. Think about like Afghanistan today, or you know, it. We we have now been in Afghanistan as Americans for longer than any other war, and it's because there's a group of people there, insurgents, who will constantly fight back they'll constantly undermine they'll constantly do whatever and so we are required to put military presence there unless we want to let the country just go to the insurgents and so that we're stuck in this quagmire that lasts on and on and on and on it's similar to that where rome had conquered the world they were the the top dogs they had peace everywhere but then there kept being these agitators and these insurgents and these little rebellions that kept springing Mm -hmm. up and it it was like boiling up and boiling up. And by the time of Jesus, it had gotten to the point where they were legitimately, they're like, we're going to brutally execute anybody who, who is going to be one of these insurgents and we're going to make everybody see it. And like that, well, that's yeah, that, where, where Jesus was at the time is he's coming in, speaking about a kingdom, speaking about, uh, you know, a new kind of kingdom that very much, even though he's talking about peace and love, I mean, it, it, it wasn't necessarily threatening to Rome, but it was yet another, Want to be upstart king? Who right. Rome? If they want to just maintain peace, they just gotta they gotta squash that before it gets right. started.
2: And who has right. all authority, both in heaven and on earth, right. and earth? It's not Caesar.
3: Right. Right. The the reason the Romans even came into that part of the world at all was because Her- Herod, the father of the Herod, who was there when Jesus at the time of jesus his father asked them to come in because they were under somewhat of a self-rule and they fought with each other so badly that the that they herod asked the romans to come in from egypt and settle things down and was expecting them to leave and they didn't Mm -hmm. they just stayed because it was such a mess we don't yeah, they were not bothered by all that messianic stuff. They're more bothered by people who just raised a big stink. And this was on the fringes of the empire, too. It was. Barry's absolutely right. The worst possible place that a, a, a governmental official could have been sent was to, Israel, to Judea. That's like the worst job in the world. I have to go deal with the Jews. Right. So, well, and
2: correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't so much Roman authority that sought to kill Jesus as it was the religious leaders of the day. And so yeah, it wasn't- but, they,
3: but they didn't have the right to kill people. They right. had to have the, they didn't have the, they couldn't just kill people. Right. It's interesting when it's, yeah. When the church starts, there's a, the suddenly when the church starts, there's a, an empty position in Syria which was the ultimate position over that area. And so there wasn't any big power there. And what happens is that guys like Paul start going around killing Christians. Mm. And they could do it without worrying about it because there wasn't a strong Roman emphasis. That um, that stuff all – it makes sense historically historically all that stuff makes sense yeah
1: and so the 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 reason that the the israel's leaders wanted to kill jesus was because he was claiming to be the messiah because he was claiming to be god among us like all of those things are blasphemous from their perspective but like like tim said they couldn't kill him so what do they do they go to the roman authorities and say he's talking about starting a new kingdom and so the romans Mm -hmm. they kill him Uh, you know, whether or not they, they wanted to, it's like, all right, whatever, we'll, we'll do it. We'll get rid of this, this guy. And we'll put the name King of the Jews over his, over his head as he dies, kind of as a way of saying, yeah, this is the reason he's being killed, but also as a bit of a jab to the, to the religious leaders to say, to say, oh yeah, look at your King. How, how glorious is he? Ha ha. And yeah. And they said, please put, he
3: claimed to be on the sign, would you? Yeah. (laughs) I wrote what I wrote. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. So it is That's interesting, true. the dynamic and all of it com- comes out of his teaching because he was going around telling people, hey, the kingdom of God is here. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, uh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I, I think I'm right on the, if he had just come and perform miracles, it would have been a, because, though in the Jewish thinking of the time, Miracles were only a sign of other authority, Mm -hmm. and it meant listen to his teaching, Mm -hmm. listen to what he says, because they tended to think of what they were going to say as prophetic. And so the signs would necessarily – that's why the leaders always come to Jesus and say, give us a sign that shows where your authority comes from. Mm -hmm. And why when they didn't like what he said, they said he, he must have power from whom? the devil. Mm-hmm. And so it, I mean, it all makes sense in their logic,
0: but um, yeah. You know. Marin, what, uh, so we've, we've done two weeks of the what if series so far, but what, what is, what has stood out to you? I'm always interested in your questions when it to comes me? to Yeah. Yeah. What, what has stood out to you? Cause the first week we talked about what if Jesus had never been born? Yeah. And I've got, a have got a, my next question to everybody is going to be like, what's, what are some of your favorite what if questions? But before we get mm. there, I want to hear Marin what has stood out to you in this series?
2: Well, something that stood out to me, even just in just this last week and the message that Tim taught was that Jesus did not need to be a teacher. Yeah. If people, if people were just looking for someone with, with power and authority, he could have shown that through his miracles and, it could have just left it at that. Like I'm the miracle guy, bring me all your sick and you're dead and I'll raise them to life. You know, (laughs) he, he did not have to be a teacher, but then that begs the question, okay, why, Mm. why did he spend so much time um, trying to teach both his disciples and I mean, thousands of people and feeding them five, you know, the fish and the bread and, 5,000 people at a time, why, why did he focus so much on this teaching? And I think there's, there's some obvious conclusions we can draw so that all of Christendom would have his teachings for all of time. He knows the end from the beginning, so he knew they'd be written down, and he knew that we four mm. would be sitting here talking about them today. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I had never thought in my life about why Jesus taught. It was just accepted to me that he taught. Here's what he did. He came, yeah. he did miracles, he taught. Yeah. He died on the cross, he rose again. But I've never really stopped to ask myself why. I might have asked myself why he died on the cross. I think that's, that's one we go to every year, sure. you know, at Easter time. But I did not ever pause and ask myself why did he teach. Yeah. And then as I asked myself why he taught, then I start to think of the things he taught and, and Tim, you did a good job of just kind of very quickly summarizing the farmer scattering the seed. That's the parable that he taught or the, the, the mustard seed. He knows how hard it is for us to have faith in this world. That's what he taught. The good Samaritan or leaving the 99 and going after the one. And so as you're rattling these things off, I'm thinking of other snapshots of Jesus' teaching. Um, Suffer the children to come unto me for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why did he say that? Why did he, and that's, it's such a short little moment in time, but he taught it to his disciples yeah. who were standing around, who were apparently in the wrong. He needed to correct them. Mm-hmm. Um, more recently for me, it was the, the widow's mite. I just went and looked up that very, very short teaching of Jesus earlier this week. Uh, hey, you see that lady over there? She's, she's only got like two cents, but she is giving more than all these other rich people in this room. It's just such, it's a little blip, yeah. but it's so powerful what he can say with like four sentences with with such a little blip. So that's what stuck out to me, um, especially this week, especially this week.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's critical that he taught because of what you just said, like the four of us here are talking about what he said. And when I, when I talk to my kids about Jesus, it's, it's about messages that he said, like it'll, it, it will blow their minds that he performed miracles and that, you know, all that cool stuff, mm-hmm. but what he said changes lives. You know, what, what he said changes the trajectory of how people choose to live today, much mm-hmm. less, you know, all that time ago. Barry, what about you? What, what, why did you choose this kind of theme for this time of year? Like the the Easter season? Why, why, why are we asking the what if questions?
1: I, I want to say one or two Easter's ago, um, I was listening to my dad preach, uh, one of his Easter messages and I thought something just clicked in my head and I thought, you know what I want to preach about when I get a chance to preach on Easter is what if Jesus never rose from the dead? Like what actually changed because he rose? Like maybe just dying on the cross would have been enough. Why did he have to rise from the grave? What if I talked about that? And that idea kind of sat in my mind like a seed. And then this year, as I started looking ahead towards Easter, I was like, you know what? I think that's an interesting question to ask about all kinds of different aspects of Jesus. What if he never died in the first place? What if he never lived? What if he never taught? And so for me, it what it does is it just, like I said in my my first message of the series, it's just, it forces you to think about things in a different context, a different perspective. And by doing so, you come to appreciate the reality more than you would without asking those questions. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm doing it. Um, It asking what if it didn't happen helps you understand why it did. Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I think it's helped me not take it for granted. You know, again, especially people like us who have been Christians for, years at a time. And every year we get to the season and we know what it's about and we know what we're going to hear. And it's just so easy to just know it by rote. And so having to kind of put the brakes on and stop and ask these deeper questions, um, helps it. You're right about that seed. It feels like it's making my faith grow deeper roots more than just accepting, okay, Jesus came, he taught, he died, he rose. Yeah. But, but wrestling with some of these concepts and asking ourselves questions and challenging ourselves to look deeper mm-hmm. makes the roots of my faith go even deeper.
0: Are you guys, are you guys, what if people like just generally, like, do you think about the past and like, what if yes. I had never met this person? <laughs> Every or what if I, day, I'm day gonna, of my life. Yeah. I will say
3: that. Uh, can I talk about that for a second?
0: <laughs> yeah, please.
3: Can I, I think about it all the time and, um, but I'm old enough now that I actually have this massive perspective on the what if. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was, let's see, my wife and I had come home from England. She was pregnant with Elizabeth and we had two little kids and we'd sold literally everything to go to England and had to come home a, two years earlier than we thought we would. And that's another story in itself. But I, <laughs>
1: but I didn't know what, which, in, which involves rescuing sheep out of a burning building. Yeah, burning <laughs> yeah. For another day, I, another day. I, um, <laughs> yeah.
3: I wasn't sure what was going to happen and we didn't, ha- we, we'd come back and we'd gone into my mom's house just to try to get our bearings. And my father had built a new house in Noblesville and he was going to move into it. And Out of the blue, one day he said, would you and your family like to live in that house? Mm. And I said, "Okay, we'll move in if we can move in this weekend, because it was like a Wednesday. And I was because I thought he'd change his mind. I I mean, he built the house for himself and his new wife and they were going to live in it. Mm. And so we moved into that house. And when we moved into that house, it put our children into the Noblesville schools And when they went into and there was no thought in my mind to live in Noblesville at all. I was an Indianapolis guy. And the result of that was that my former neighbor, who was now the Noblesville swim coach's daughter, was on my daughter's soccer team. And she said, why don't you try out for swimming? Well, I would have never thought about my kids being swimmers, but swimming opened up. My daughter went on a full ride to USC. And she became a lawyer because of the connections that got there that got her into law school. And my son wow. is the coach of the Whedon College swim team. And my other daughter ended up working with the USA triathlon team in Colorado Springs and going to Pepperdine on a scholarship. I mean, <laughs> these things just go like that. They just get wider yeah. and wider. Yeah. What would my life have been like if I'd taken an apartment in Broaderable? Yeah. And my kids and my daughter had never been on the Noblesville, hmm. in the Noblesville soccer t- Everything about my life would have, our, my children's lives changed on one thing. What if my dad had said, nah, he can figure that one out on himself? Mm-hmm. I think about that. Yeah, the, man, that's crazy. All the time that my children's lives were completely changed by... The end result was completely changed by one Mm. if, what if. And I'm sure we can all think of that kind of stuff. I had more people come up to me on the Sunday morning and say, I have what ifs, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. if this had happened or what if this had not happened. And that's what they wanted to tell me. They wanted Mm -hmm. to tell me I'm so thankful that that happened or that didn't happen it was somewhat overwhelming
1: so yeah one of the one of the things that physicists and scientists are uh pretty pretty confident in is that most of reality or all of reality is really just a set of collapsing probability waves like at any given moment every single every (laughs) single particle in the universe has a probability of where it might be or where it might go and that kind of On a macro scale is like there's there's branching paths in front of us with every small and big decision. And my hunch is that our (laughs) our all knowing omniscient God who is outside of time and creation, I bet he sees every branching probability path of every possible decision. And I think he could tell us what our lives would have been like, if not this, if this, I think he may actually know what what we are living is the path. That is the most, the the most loving path, the path that that all of the universe that most reflects the self-giving love of God. That's the path that we are on. And, and this is getting really huge, but anyway, that's what I, that's the way I think about it. And so like, there's a, there's another universe or there's another path where my mom did not sign me up for, auditions to join the show choir at North central. And so there's a, there's a universe where I'm like a professional French horn player and who knows what my faith would be like or any of that. Like there, there's a universe where I didn't drop out of college at Moody and go off to live in Kenya for a year. Like I'd probably be selling insurance or something at this point. Like if that was the case, like but the, I just imagine that God knows all of those mm-hmm. and sees all of those. And so yeah. I love asking what if, uh, cause that's the kind of thing that I might even start my sermon just kind of musing on that a little bit this weekend. Aaron, what about you? You ask every day. You say we're
2: all just riding the probability
1: waves. That's right, we are. Just and you look behind, <laughs> behind you, and you see all the collapsed probability waves of the actual what actually happened. But in front of you, it's yeah. all just branching paths.
2: I can waste entirely too much time <laughs> if I think about the what ifs. And I'd I mentioned this the last time I gave a message at Grace. The what ifs are, I mean, at best, they're amusing. Right, like, huh, mm-hmm. oh, I wonder if I never would have moved to Chicago and never would have met Jed, and you know how crazy would it be because Jaden and Desi wouldn't exist. Like, at, uh-huh. at, at best, <laughs> yeah, it's amusing. At worst, it's it's torturing. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What if, you know, my mom never got sick? What if um, this person I love didn't die? For, at, at, and it's torturing as a mom because the what ifs can easily spiral out of control. To like, ooh, should I let my son go drive with that friend tonight? What if this is the last time I see my son? Sure. And I mean, when you've done enough funerals, when you've done enough funerals, you know, like things are possible. We just did a funeral at Fisher's last week for a young man who went and played basketball at the YMCA and died. Hmm. He had a heart condition nobody knew about. He went to the Y and that was the end. And so the what ifs can make me crazy. Mm -hmm. They can make me absolutely crazy as a mom of teenagers, just as a fearful person in general. And so I always come to this point of, okay, but not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Not my will, but your will be done. If you are sovereign, if you see all of the probability waves, there's a book I read, I think it was Henry Nouwen, um, Can You Drink the Cup? Whatever is in my cup, if it is good or if it is unpleasant, if it is tragic, Or if it's awesome, can I take this cup of life that you've given me and drink it to the dregs and trust that you are good? So that's where the what ifs tend to land every time.
1: (laughs) And, and to kind of bring it, that's, yeah, I totally get that. It's funny, Marin, as a Enneagram six, the, the what ifs can fill you with dread as an Enneagram seven, the what ifs fill me with hope and excitement. Cause I'm like, there's so many, there's endless possibilities. <laughs> it's just yeah. interesting perspectives, but to kind of bring it back to the whole series, the, with all the what ifs and all the probability waves and all the possible futures, like we are living in the results of the choice that our God made to enter into this reality and collapse the probability waves of sin and death and destruction upon himself so that we can live in the future, in the reality where there is hope and there is life. And um, that to me is something that's like, we don't have to worry about what if Jesus never came because he did. And mm-hmm. we do live in that, that world where he taught and he showed us what self-giving love really means on the cross. And so... Yeah,
3: yeah. I think that that's absolutely where I wanted to end up, and where we wanted to end up with all the weeks in this series is that we don't have to worry about the what if. I said, I think I said something like, "Yeah," mm-hmm. but he taught, and boy, did he teach! And I, I'm really happy. And yeah, we don't have to worry about it. I mean, I think we have just enough of what he taught to keep us completely engaged with thinking about what it all means until we meet him i don't i don't think we needed more mm-hmm. i'm glad we don't have less but i think um, there's plenty there to keep us engaged with who god is and what he has it's to funny, say it's funny very
0: you say it fills you well, with hope and possibility mm-hmm. and it mostly i usually think of the what ifs that fill me with rage <laughs> Like, what if the person who built my house did not put floor vents in the house, the but instead, yeah, but instead, put them in the ceiling? I'd be living a better life right now. <laughs> There'd be fewer bodily fluids from your children yeah. entering. the I wouldn't the vents have had to house. drill holes into my HVAC ductwork to dra- we, drain Milo's. Um, we just so I, I usually go there with my what if questions. But. I think
2: this has been the perfect snapshot. Of the three of us and our personalities, yeah. <laughs> the fear, yeah. the excitement, and the rage.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, fun.
3: I don't even know. Yeah, what, what do you do? Tim? Who, I'm a five. You know? Can I tell you something about being a five? Fives are so confident within themselves that we don't even know what <laughs> oh, those no. numbers that's mean. That's why I
0: was so angry when I was not a five. <laughs> uh, well, I,
3: it's honest truth, I I don't know what those numbers mean. Yes, I don't. That's so good. I've tried to learn it. All right. It's I really have it was like, yeah, it's like trying to memorize the capital yeah, for letters that you never use for anything because they're never. <laughs> so I just it's well, all just a I big jumble to me. Life. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I yeah. love you, but and I most just don't really know what don't. your numbers okay.
0: mean. Uh, Tim, thanks for giving us that message. <laughs> uh, the series is, is good and provocative, and I'm excited to, to venture through Easter with it. But uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us today.
3: Oh, yeah. It's a joy. And I I do want to say one quick thing, and that's that Barry gave me a synopsis of what he wanted that message to be. And it was one of the most cogent, clear synopsises I've ever had, had given to me in all the years I've been a pastor. And I actually took hunks of it and quoted him. And I think he needs credit for that because I don't know that I would have gone where I was going fully had I not had that one paragraph that said oh, what good. he really wanted wow, our people to too. hear. So I think I need to, I to give him remember <laughs> what I said. I
2: gotta <laughs> go look thank that you. document up.
3: Well, I hmm. said exactly what you said. There was one part. Hmm where I, I just read it because it was so good. So anyway,
1: Uh, where do we head next? What's the next question we're answering? We are breaking protocol guys because next weekend, this coming weekend is Palm Sunday, but we are talking about the crucifixion. And I know that's against the rules, but it has to happen. So it's happening. Uh, we're going to talk what about if,
2: what if Jesus rode in on a donkey? What if he never What if rode he rode in on
1: a war horse? Uh, what if he rode <laughs> I, in on a. Whoa. In, a, in like an SUV? People would have been like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh and, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would have said, the future's bright, guys. Um, Look at No, this. we're talking about what if yeah. Jesus never died? And I think. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm both nervous and excited about this particular message. Cause I think it's a, it's a chance for us to, to really grasp what the crucifixion was beyond just some of the, I don't know, the sort of easy catchphrases that we go to and, and really trying to understand how did our, how, what is my life? How is it different because of that historical act and that moment in time, what changed on, you know, at, 6 p.m. on the Friday, the original Good Friday, like mm-hmm. what actually changed in our universe because of that? And that'll be, that'll be something I think is going to be engaging for us to talk about. Wow. Good.
0: Yeah. So Easter's basically one week away and uh, we want you friends of the pod to join us in person or online. We're excited to gather uh, to celebrate the fact that not, not only did Jesus teach and he died, but. He rose again. And so bring people with you. We want people to to come hear the message of hope because life is the, the message of life right now is needed kind of more than ever after we didn't get to gather for Easter in person last year. And, you know, the, it, it is sunny out and it, it feels like there's a Amy said it last week at 146 Street. It kind of feels like stuff is starting to awaken a little bit. And so bring people with you and, uh, we'll, we'll celebrate Easter and have a, have a big celebration. So with that, Maren, will you please send us out?
2: Sure thing. Do justly love mercy and walk humbly with your God.
0: And we'll see you on the other side of Sunday.